Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey. We got some mixed news today. We got one really good thing that I really appreciate. We have a guest host today, guest guest host today, a guest, but he's also a host because he's one of our dear writers who is a Navy Lieutenant Commander and back from a, a really tough assignment at sea. And Jay Johnson is with us, and there are a lot of Jay Johnson fans out there. Hey, Jay, how you doing? I'm uh, glad to be here, John, hanging in there. So it's exciting to come back and then reacquaint myself and enjoy some football. So I'm glad that we were able, between the NFL and the NCAA, to figure out the COVID situation so that we could enjoy some fall sports and some normalcy. Yeah. And we also have, and we always will have, my regular co-host, Brian. Brian, I know you've got a rant brewing. So how are you doing today? I'm good, guys. And welcome back, Jay. Thanks, man. Good to be back. So. It happened again this year, although it honestly wasn't as bad as the Duke outing because the Duke outing, both the defense and the offense melted down. This time, UNC basically had our number from the first play of the first half. We kicked off and basically drowned at that point as far as defensively. And we sputtered around offensively for the first half. And we'll all talk about that a little bit. But right now, Brian... Jay's going to have his opinion, but I've got to let Brian have his say. So we're going to let Brian go. Brian, have at it. Well, first of all, I covered a lot in the takeaways article this morning. I focused pretty heavily on the defensive side of the ball because we didn't lose the game because of the offense. The points I wanted to make on offense was it's good to see Hooker back under center. This offense is so much better. He keeps the running element of the offense that Braxton Burmeister brings, but he also makes the passing game much more dynamic involves all the receivers, can throw the ball deep. Just so much more we can do with him under center. So it was great to have him back in the second half, and I hope that's what we do moving forward because this two-rotation thing at quarterback doesn't work. It's not a setup for success. Leave Hooker in there unless he's hurt. Burmeister did a fine job. He's, he's great to have as a backup, as is Quincy, but this is Hooker's team. Now, let's get to defense because what we saw yesterday was some of the worst defense we've seen in, in years. I think that Pitt game in 2018, where you get up like 700 yards, is the first thing that comes Ooh. to mind. But UNC could do anything it wanted. So many people want to blame Cornelson for a bad call on offense, even when we're winning. And this falls squarely at the feet of Justin Hamilton, whether people want to admit it or not. It brings into question when he was promoted, there was a lot of questions about his experience and his lack of experience and his readiness for the job. And what happened yesterday doesn't ease those concerns, in my opinion. Obviously, we want Justin to do well. 
And yeah, of course, there are the COVID issues that they've had to navigate, which is tough. But I mean, the front seven yesterday was just awful. And the COVID issues were in the secondary. So that front seven was just, if you go back and watch it, I mean, they were getting blown off the ball just repeatedly. Hey, Jay, I'm kind of refereeing this one. And I know you got a chance to finally see a game. So I'm going to let you give some observations on what you think. And then I'll chip in. Okay, sounds good, John. Thanks. So nothing's particularly changed with my outlook and the way I approach things. I'm the eternal optimist most of the time. So yesterday, there were some disappointing things. On the offensive side of the ball, the, the two things, or as, a, as an entire team, I guess is a better way to put this. One of the things that really stood out to me was how hard they fought back. When we went down 21 to zero, I was like, I think I might go play video games because we've seen that story so many times where like Tech takes a gut punch and they don't rise to the occasion. And it just ends up being, you know, just a pain train to watch as the team kind of quits. And they didn't. And not only did they not quit that time, they did it twice, right? We went down by three scores two times and fought back to within one score. Now, it didn't work out, but I was really excited to see that. And I think it's worth talking, and I've been doing my best to catch up with the stuff you guys have been doing on the site, but I'm not fully caught up. So I imagine you've talked about this. I know when the transfer portal first showed up, people were quite concerned. They're like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? And I forget the young man's name, but like the wide receiver that left and everybody was losing their minds. And I'm like, he left to go start at ODU. Like we have people like Herbert and Blackshear that come to play at Virginia Tech. So I think Virginia Tech is one of the programs that's actually positioned quite nicely to benefit more than it's going to lose from the transfer portal because you're going to have these three and four star recruits that don't want to languish on the bench, you know, because there's some superstar in front of them or it's an offense that has changed from when they were recruited and they're no longer a feature. And so we're going to have dudes like Herbert drop down. He's putting up ETN level numbers for the first three games of the season, right? Yep. He's got an absurd yard per carry, multiple touchdowns in the air and on the ground. He's a very dynamic player. So on the offensive side of the ball, like, and I was certainly one of Cornelison's critics when he was first showing up. And right now, He's got the offense with the players that he wants. And when it starts chugging, man, UNC does not have a pushover defense. And we still put 45 points up on that defense. It's not a bland defense. They're capable. So on the offensive side of the ball, I'm pretty happy. I have to be on Brian's train and Jay's train. It's not like I'm split in the middle. Brian's probably in pretty much agreement with Jay. We've been a great beneficiary of the transfer portal. We've come on the positive side of it. We haven't lost really badly in the transfer portal. We've won most of those. The big thing is, is that there are some issues on offense. There's some biases that I'd like to see, and we're going to talk about that in the future that would help make the offense launch faster and actually be a better, more sustained offense that wouldn't completely rely on having to have Hendon Hooker be quarterback. But that's another issue. The issue that we keep running into that everybody's been mumbling about all year is this defense. And is this defense up to speed or up to any sort of ability to deal with something in the realm of an Eastern region, non-Big 12 defense? I mean, we don't have, our defense is kind of sputtery right now. Sometimes they're really good. You know, they were leading NCAA in sacks and they still might at the beginning of this game. Did you see Justice anywhere on the, on, on the field yesterday at all? Yeah, yeah, he was playing. Yeah, but I'm just saying, did did you see him? Did you see any? Yeah, see, I didn't see him. He didn't show up. I I didn't see him in the backfield anywhere. I saw Barno one time. He had a sack, Heavy pressure, he got a sack. 
I saw a couple of good defensive series in there, and then I saw them collapse. I saw like three plays in a row or four plays in a row where the defense just got run over, and then they'd stop for a little while and get a stop for a couple of plays, and then they'd fall all over themselves again. I don't know if that's a conditioning issue or a playing together issue. They were doing a lot better for two games, and UNC's offensive line isn't much better than either Duke's or NC State's. So I think one of the things is is that it was an offensive scheme on Duke's part that they didn't really have one. NC State didn't really have an offensive scheme. Well, Mac Brown came to the table, and Mac Brown had an offensive scheme in mind. And what it looked like he was doing was he was taking a very inexperienced third string secondary with some decent talent, decent enough talent, but guys that were having to cover for other guys and fill in for other guys. And he was taking advantage of that by moving people around, moving people out of position. So he would get Tisdale, who was covering the tight end, the tight end to motion to the left, pulling Tisdale to the Tisdale's right across the formation, and then running past where Tisdale was. And that kept happening over and over again. That's a coaching thing to remind Tisdale, no, if the tight end goes that way, forget him. Pass it off to somebody else. Somebody needs to pick him up on that side of the formation. You stick with the running back. They were keying off the wrong people. They were not reacting. I was pretty disappointed in the linebacker play yesterday all the way around. They weren't getting off of blocks. They weren't getting off of blocks of wide receivers, as Brian noted to me earlier today. So what we need to do right now is we got to pay for some stuff. So we're, we're going to stop for a commercial break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the tweaks in the defense that might make a difference a little bit in the next game because BC's not a pushover. All right? So we'll be back after these messages. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey. Before the break, we were discussing Virginia Tech's loss to UNC yesterday and whenever some of the things that the three of us saw with the defense and the offense. And Jay touched on a great point about the, about the transfer portal, and it was such a good point, and I wanted to, to bring it up again, where I think it was about a year and a half ago, January of 2019, we were losing guys like Eric Kuma and several other guys that really weren't impact guys here or had lost their starting positions and they were going on mouthing off on Twitter about Fuente and the staff. And I think the, the fans had a mentality of the sky's falling scenario, which this fan base often does. But anyway, as, as we've seen, Justin Fuente's done a magnificent job of navigating the transfer portal, getting guys like Herbert and Blackshear. Blackshear was like an honorable mention, all big 10 player there a couple of years ago at Rutgers, excellent receiver out of the backfield, which we haven't really seen that yet. I, I think we will at some point, but they were trying in this game. There were too many that were too short of the line of scrimmage to be effective, but they, they were I, starting to. I think I've seen just one or two targets to Blackshear, which I want to see more of. I think we will with Hooker back. I think we'll, we'll see more yeah. of that. But the recruiting is such a focus of this program, and it should be. I mean, because we're getting killed on the recruiting trail with North Carolina this year is just cleaning up and we're falling behind. And I think Fuente realizes that we can get our best players moving forward with the portal every year. You, you can grab four or five starters out of the portal every year or at least three, four impact guys, and that'll make up for some of the recruiting misses. And, and you know, you look at Herbert, who was a multi-year starter at Kansas, 1,000-yard rush, a really good player. Look what he's doing here. And then you see guys like we missed on that thought they were too big for Virginia Tech, like Ricky Slade and Devin Ford. And you might want to Google those guys and see where those guys are doing right now. So that's that's my take. I thought Jay made a great point on the transfer portal. 
Yeah, you did, Jay. So, okay. Instead of whining and crying about that loss this weekend, we all know we're going to be kind of sucking on the lips and kind of bitter coughing, you know. But at some point, we got to put the loss down and move on. And I'm hoping that they do it pretty fast. What are we looking at to fix things, a little bit to fix things? I'll start it off, I guess. The big thing that they need to do is the defense right now is not adjusting to what it looks like they were set up to play. What we got yesterday was Mac Brown and his staff said, oh, they have a very inexperienced secondary. Even their starters are like freshmen and redshirt sophomores. They've got walk-ons. How are we going to challenge them? And how you challenge an inexperienced secondary that's stuck in loose zone coverage is you throw underneath. You get to the second level. You you run through seams. You counter so that you get them going in the wrong direction, and then you cut back against the grain. You know, or you go out around the edges after having gotten people to move in the wrong direction. So you look like you're going to run left, and you run right. That kind of stuff. It sounds like it's real simple, but guess what? It's basic football, and I think the adjustments have got to be made in the linebacking core on that structured element where they need to stop biting off on stuff and start looking at how to actively react to the ball. We were losing the ball yesterday. The defense was just losing where the ball was. They had no clue. So you had a running back running past a basically unblocked defensive lineman who was dancing around with the offensive lineman on the wrong side of the block and never reached out to touch or tackle or stop or impede or anything, a runner. And in which you realize is where the head was, the guy's head was positioned. He didn't know where the ball was. He didn't realize that the guy had the ball. So there's a serious deficit on that. And that's one of the things those in-game adjustments have to be made and they've got to get better at them on the defense. So Jay, you're up. What's the next thing that they need to fix that might help with BC? I think like kind of just taking a look back overall, the number one thing is the obvious, like getting Diablo back in there. He's an impact player. I think when you take a look at NC State, like when we came out swinging, like it's the big question, like are they bad or are we good? I think they were good and we were good because NC State has been laying pain down on everybody since then, which is surprising. You know, I'm I'm pretty vocal about my criticism of NC State and how they get into bowl games and have been for years, but they're actually going out and getting ACC wins right now. So I think NC State's not a pushover. I think when we have our playmakers on the field, we can go you know, toe-to-toe with teams like Miami and UNC and at least slow down Clemson. So getting Diablo back on the field, I don't think can be overestimated. The other big thing is taking into consideration the best practice that these, particularly these young men that are playing for the first time and at the collegiate level are getting is game time. Because of the limitations, you know, based on the COVID-19 restrictions, you're not having you know, your standard practices, and it's difficult with all the social distancing and health requirements for these guys to have any semblance of what we would expect a training program to be during the off-season. And you could see that last night, like over-pursuit, right? And then I was talking to John on the phone about this last night. There's just situations where, like, poor Mr. Matheny, like, that dude's playing his heart out, 
but to steal a, a motorsport adage, like there's no replacement for displacement. Like those dudes on North Carolina were just bigger and faster. And so you're running into situations where you have like third string walk-ons having to go up against third and fourth year starters on a top 10 program. And when guys are out of position or over pursue, it's not something they can recover from. They don't have the speed or the strength to like one arm tackle somebody or to run somebody down. So what I think that's going to have to change there is kind of a, a mentality and a, like you were talking about on the coaching side of the ball is dudes swarming, you know, like the biggest thing I think that killed us yesterday was whenever anybody quarterback wide receiver or running back got into the secondary, it was just a massive loss. And there's a couple of those events that I don't think would have happened if we had more of our starters in the secondary. At the end of the first half, when that they drove down the field in mere seconds and scored, UNC is a very capable offense. There was no way we were going to completely shut them down, but we weren't even slowing them down. And if we have our starters in the secondary, people making tackles in the secondary, that score probably doesn't happen. Same thing with the 60-plus yard touchdown run that they got in the closing minutes of the game. That score probably doesn't happen because we have dudes that are able to keep up, catch up, or make the plays when somebody gets into the secondary. Not ideal, obviously. We'd rather not have running backs in the secondary, but it's going to happen against a team like UNC, and we simply didn't have the ability to deal with that. So telling guys that they need to be smart about what they're doing rather than selling out or trying to like over-pursue and get a big hit and letting this guy get free for 27 yards. Position yourself, wait for backup. Slow him down, block him, get in his way. Is he going to get an eight, nine-yard gain? Maybe, man, but that's better than a 62-yard touchdown because that kind of broke our back right there. That was the end. Like, there was still a glimmer of hope, and then when that touchdown happened, we're like, all right, man, good fight, boys. And the other side, too, when you take a look at Boston College, they're pass-happy, right? So their their quarterback has had two back-to-back 300-yard games, but they can't run. Their team has 241 rushing yards, and they've allowed an average of four sacks per game. He got sacked five times yesterday. That plays to our strength, right? So the fact that they are throwing bombs down the field, multiple passing touchdowns, 300-yard games, that doesn't bode well for our secondary that struggles, but it looks like their offensive line for Boston College is very susceptible to the strengths that we do have. So when our defensive line and our, and our linebackers are playing to the level that they can, I think we'll be able to, to mob Boston College, and we're going to see a lot more of the Saxburg mentality going in there. But I think going forward, as these players get more experience, that's where we're going to get our real money made for improvement is because the, the game time is really the only really good practice and experience you're able to get since there's so many limitations for what they can do when they're back home practicing. Back to you, John. So you're up, Brian, for the trailing out last part of the segment, which you got. I want to I want to touch on the Diablo thing. You can't discount losing him. He's such a reliable safety back there. Great tackler, good leader. And the things that he and Shamari Connor both really excel at is playing near the line of scrimmage. Well, as you can see yesterday, that's where we needed him the most. So to say that the presence of Shamari and Diablo wouldn't have mattered, I think is is not a good thing. I, they definitely would have helped us. Now, like Jay said, some of those scores probably wouldn't happen because on some of those huge runs, Matheny was kind of like the last line of defense, and he just wasn't athletic enough to, to make the stop. It wasn't that it was poor form or anything. He just wasn't athletic enough, and he's being asked to do things that really he shouldn't be doing. But due to the situation we're in and, and the entire world is in, he's being forced to step up and it's unfortunate. He he played well last week, but against a team that was less athletic and less talented, and that showed yesterday. So we did miss those two guys, especially 
near the line of scrimmage and when we're getting killed in the running game. Yeah, the last thing is something that, Brian, you and I were chipping back and forth on the line with. It was the final penalty was something that maybe exposed a little weakness in, in the midfield, and those are the linebackers. And that right now is Dax was struggling yesterday. He did not have a good game. He couldn't get off a block to save his life. He was screened out, zoned out. Dax is not an outside linebacker. Dax is a middle linebacker, and he just is not fast enough to make those coverages. Tisdale is, but Dax is not. And that end penalty, yeah, he's going to, like I said, he's going to be running laps and flipping tires for a couple of practices. But the upshot is is that they've got to figure out how to get Dax's energy, emotion, and capabilities in the game without losing him to the bench because right now he's not helping anything the way he's playing in the position that he's playing. I mean, I've got some ideas on how to fix that or how they should fix that or could, but it also means a change in their defense and the way they're doing. And maybe, you know, that's a necessary thing. Maybe they need to rethink what they're doing. It's the old Einstein adage, you know, you know, the measure of insanity is is you just keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. The most fire that I saw out of that defense yesterday was when Sam Howell took his final knee. Where was that the entire game? I mean, yeah, I was like, where was that emotion and energy in the the beginning of the third quarter when you guys were close or the end of the second quarter when you could have gotten that stop and you would have come in with the ball and an opportunity to either tie it up or get it within one score, you know, like kicking a field goal or whatever. So I was a little disappointed. Like I said, Tisdale kept biting. And it's like at some point, somebody's got to signal him and say, Tisdale, stop biting on the tight end motion because they're killing us coming back the other way. You're leaving a space and Matheny's trying to cover that hole and Matheny is not big enough and fast enough to cover that hole. So it was just getting run over. They'd expose Matheny and bang, he'd get run over by Davis or get run over by Williams. I mean, it's like bang, bang, bang. I was stunned that we weren't making an adjustment to deal with that. So there's a lot to be done on this one. I just read the coaches poll came out and I'll probably put out that article tomorrow just because I'm a little poop today and we're doing this today and usually we do it tomorrow. And the coaches poll were ranked 23rd. So guys, believe it or not, the coaches are like, okay, yeah, they lost, but you cannot denigrate a team that put up 45 points against Mac Brown's defense, which was supposed to be so good. Just because our defense had a serious problem and melted down, our offense did not, and nobody quit. Now, I fully expect if I go back and check that we're going to have fallen out of the AP poll, but that goes without saying sports writers and coaches don't look at the same kinds of things. So that's kind of my final take on it. They're going to have to fix the defense. They've got a lot of things they have to address. Brian, I'm going to leave it up to you to put an article together for everybody, kind of, because you do have some specific ideas on what happened and what needs to happen. I would not mind hearing from you on that, and I'm sure our our readers wouldn't either. And I know Jay is going to be putting up his rankings. We haven't had a Jay rankings of the ACC for a while, so Jay's going to be putting out this week a rankings article for the ACC, so be on the alert for that. You know, it's not the end of the world, right, guys? Absolutely not. I think one of the big things to look at, too, and kind of like set everybody's windows of expectation, this was going to be a tough year for the defense period. You're losing, if he's not one of the best defensive coordinators to ever be there, he's in the hunt. 
changing from Bud Foster to a different defense is going to be difficult, period. Then COVID happens. And so like a hard situation got harder. I think we need to have some realistic expectations of the defense. And it's kind of a mindset shift for the entire fan base where we're used to the defense keeping the offense in the game. The other way around now, this offense is the strength. The offense needs to basically help the defense out. Gone are the days where we can expect Virginia Tech's defense to sit there and hold somebody reliably under 20 points. That means the defense is going to get scored on. Offense responds. Like, you need to be put, and they they have. Did you notice the scores, Jay? Not to really interrupt, but as we close this out, did you notice the scores this weekend? You tell me how many games there were that the defenses were standing up and stopping people. Yeah, there especially was, in the ACC in the top 25. Like, it was just a – it was a shootout fest this entire yeah. weekend. Look at the SEC. There was always a defensive league. Alabama's getting given up like 600-plus yards, and LSU gives up 45 points to a freaking Missouri. I mean, it's just crazy that in the days of great defense or, or the game set up for explosive offense now at the college level and the pro level. So every defensive coordinator really has his work cut out for him, but we do have a good offense here, and it's trending in the right direction. And fans and all of us need to realize there's still eight games to go in this season, and everything's still in front of us right now. And a lot can happen between now and December when we play Clemson and UVA. So I want the cup back. They're bringing it back down out 64 and down 81, and I want it staying. And, okay, no, if we lost every other game but that game, no, I still wouldn't be thrilled. But I do want the cup back. <laughs> well, I think a lot of the fans, and, and I'm one of them too, is, is, is I hate North Carolina. I hate them in every sport. So you, you hate losing to them, and I, that adds to the whole. We've lost yeah. to them before and done well. We've still like 12 and four against them since we've been yeah. in the ACC. So, so. so, you know, some days you're just not going to do it. And yesterday was that day. So for a little while, anyway, I got my team back together again, and I'm thrilled. So, Jay, as we wrap this up, all of our podcasts, I don't know if you caught up with some of the podcasts that we've been doing. They're all listed down at the bottom of the articles. But we always end up our podcast with this. It's always real simple. Go Hokies. Go Hokies. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.